You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. New York, the glitz, the glamour, the exciting Muttropolis, the sparkling kitty city that never sleeps. Step onto the sexy streets of animal attraction that is New York City. Welcome to Pets in the City, Life in the Urban Jungle. Join host Diane West as she explores the exciting lives, loves, and laments of the people and pets in the world's greatest city. Pets in the City, like the city itself, has something for everyone. Celebrity pet sightings, pet events, and news and reviews with the hottest movers, shakers, and tail waggers in New York. So get ready to get dressed to the canines and take a bite out of the Big Apple with your Pets in the City host, Diane West. Hello, all you cyber cats, kittens, canines, and critters under all creation. This is Diane West coming at you once again from the greatest city in the world. And of course, that would be New York City with Pets in the City on Pet Life Radio. Can you believe the band that brought us rock classics like Aqualung, Cross-Eyed Mary, Locomotive Breath, and I could go on and on, have been together for over 40 years. Of course, I'm talking about Jethro Tull, and we are so excited to have Ian Anderson, the eccentric, flute-playing, hard-rocking founder of the band, here with us today on Pet Life Radio. And while many of our listeners may know his songs by heart, what they may not know is this musical pioneer is absolutely obsessed with cats. We'll be right back to talk about that and more. All right, this is my stop, Commercial Boulevard. Yeah, that's funny. Pets in the City will be back in a New York minute. Don't go anywhere. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Pawfume Dog Grooming and Finishing Spray is proud to be a new sponsor of Pet Life Radio. Pawfume Super Long Lasting Sprays are available in four unique fragrances. Each Pawfume spray is fortified with the finest conditioners and detanglers to make combing out your dog more fun. Pawfume retails for only $2 per 6-ounce bottle. Pawfume is available nationwide at all Dollar General and Family Dollar stores. Why pay more to have your dog smell great? Pawfume, P-A-W-F-U-M-E. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com. Coast to coast and around the world, it's all behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do, and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. 
From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, all you yuppie puppies and city kitties. Pets in the City is back with more urban animals and cool cosmopolitan critters. Try saying that three times fast. Right, Diane? Well, it's 41 years since Jethro Tell began. That was back in 1968 in the early part of the year. And since then, of course, there been many changes in the band lineup and many changes in our musical styles. And although we go back and revisit some of those early days in the music that we feature in a set list from time to time from the, the very first albums of Jethro Tell, it has evolved a great deal over the years. And, uh, of course, the um, common link is me, the unplugged guy in a rock band. There's been many great musicians passed through the band over the years, all of them bringing their distinctive contributions to our style. Now, I, from what I understand, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the seminal events for you guys was the 1971 Isle of Wight performance, uh, which sometimes is called the British Woodstock. Would you really describe it as that? I wouldn't, for kind of sociological reasons. The, um, the, the Woodstock event was primarily um, a free festival, a, a festival of love and peace and mud and sex and drugs, where I don't think an awful lot of people um, you know, came to a sticky end or, or were violently uh, abused. However, the Isle of Wight festival, uh, a, a mere two years later, was a completely different kettle of rather stinking fish. It was the end of the, uh, the era of the hippie, uh, love and peace uh, period, and and um, it was um, well, you know, it was distinctly unpleasant. I mean, it was a it was a paid ticket. There were a lot of anarchic people who insisted that it should be free and that they uh, they should be allowed in, in spite of the fact that ticket buyers, ticket holders, had you know paid good money and queued up to get in. That, that there was a great deal of violence outside and then inside the venue. It was it was really actually deeply unpleasant. But from Ooh. a from a bystander's point of view really very interesting because it was the end of an era and the and the beginnings I think of a, a harder edge reality that um, some years later morphed into Thatcherism and a, and a much more um, pragmatic view about uh, what you took from life and how you paid for it and your obligations so I think it, it, was, a, it was quite a, water, a watershed period and one that um, it was interesting to uh, to be at but from a musical perspective and from a performance perspective it was trial and tribulation all the way for all the bands who played there including poor Jimi Hendrix for whom it was his uh, last major concert and um, he didn't have a good time that night and the audience were not very kind to him so it was uh, 
it was a you know, it's interesting, but you, you can't compare the two festivals at all. Really quite different, I think. Wow. So, I mean, really, as you say, it, it sounds like it was kind of like a pivotal, almost uh, closing of an era of the, you know, peace, love, and hippie kind of yeah. vibe going on there. Wow. Cool. Absolutely. Well, you, you can see all of this if you if you go out and uh, check out the the, uh, the video of the film that was made back then by Murray Lerner of the Isle of Wight Festival and... Uh, that shows it's as nail biting as uh, a spinal tap or the story of Andal when it comes to seeing the underbelly of, uh, of rock and roll. Check out Murray Lerner's movie, it's still available, and uh, I'm sure on DVD, and uh, um, it's, it's really worth watching. Ian, I'm I mean, have to... amusing and tragic in equal part. Ian, I'm telling you, I'm going to have to check that out just because I have never heard anyone describe spinal tap as nail biting in my life. So. <laughs> See it just on that description. Now, speaking of, you know, pouring out your emotions and and just kind of angst and comedic at the same time, you strike me as someone who was not afraid to really put your emotions out there. I mean, you really seem like you pour a lot of your thought and theology and philosophy into your lyrics. Now, of course, one of your most famous albums, Aqualung, you, from what I understand, where you're going through a hard time, I think your, your dad was ill, and I, I hear a lot of anger and angst on those songs. What, is that kind of like a correct assessment? Was it like a catharsis for you? Um, it would have been if I'd written it about five years earlier, but, you know, it, the, uh, a lot of the emotions, a lot of the background to the songs comes from periods in my life preceding the actual uh, writing and recording and release of the album. So, you know, when, when you're making music, you aren't necessarily just singing about what happened to you this morning um, when you were pushing a trolley around the supermarket. You could be singing about something that happened in your school days or something that ha- happened, um, you know, last year or the year before. I mean, you draw upon life's experiences when, when you write stuff. And um, I'm sure when Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, he wasn't necessarily, um, at that particular moment, um, dealing with thoughts that were pertinent to his surroundings and his activities at that time. He was drawing upon lots of elements of of, uh, probably half-remembered history and a lot of uh, emotional and dramatic range that uh, was part of his his expertise. But, you know, people who write write music or, or, or literature or make movies, paint pictures, you know, they, they are drawing upon a, a plethora of confusion, really. It's, it's all, all the mixed emotions that you have in your life. And you, you know, it's, uh, it's, like, it's like, a, like a chef going into a kitchen with uh, an opening of cupboards, and it's full of herbs and spices and interesting things. And, you know, you, you can pick and choose and make something of all of that without uh, necessarily it being just about one thing. You know, so as a, as a songwriter, it's a good idea to stray from the world of meat and potatoes and get a little bit more interesting with the with the, the delicacies and the flavors that you uh, that you add to the stew. And I know you're an Indian food lover, so you love your spices. Um, well, that's that's right. I, I think um, <laughs> I think they go a long way, especially uh, they go a long way in replacing um, the high level of sodium in our diet. You can you can uh, you can make food flavorful and interesting without uh, pouring on salt. You know, all the saturated fats for that matter, but well, that, that takes us into dangerous territory because unfortunately most Indian cooking, um, whether it's the relatively fast food cooking of, uh, of many restaurants or even home Indian cooking, it, it does 
not have a reputation of being particularly healthy, but that's just mostly to do with the fact that everything is heavily oiled, a lot of carbohydrates and a lot of um, industrial oils and even ghee, the clarified butter used in cooking, which is, I mean, really high in saturated fat, very, you know, really, really not good for you at all. But of course, no reason why you make uh, really great tasting Indian food and just substitute uh, extra olive, extra virgin olive oil for your industrial cooking oils and come up with something which is um, lightly sautéed and, and nicely um, nicely healthy for you since uh, a lot of Indian food is heavy on the vegetables and light on the on the, uh, the red meats. Well, you know, I, I tell you, just the as you're describing, you know, putting together all the different parts, uh, light on the meat, heavy on the vegetables, you know, again, just to go back to some of your lyric writing, I, I must say some of it is the most, I guess, interesting flavored that, uh, to take the cooking analogy that a lot of people have heard of. And I have to tell you, you were the source of great debate for my friends and I, especially in Aqualung, the part where you're singing, uh, choking out pieces of his broken luck. For years, we were arguing with each other if you were saying luck or lung. So it was one of those rock and roll things that we were kind of debating. Well, you, you could blame my atrocious diction or you could blame the limitations of recording and mixing onto vinyl. Uh, <laughs> either way, I can only apologize that you spent so long in, in the period of dark dilemma. Over well, the, we, we took you very seriously. Well, I, I take me very seriously too when it comes to trying to use words in a way which is definitive and and carefully thought through, you know, you, you have ideas and they're very fluffy and very emotional and and sometimes certain words fly off the page actually when you're writing something, but you, you really have to go back and give it a, a second and a third and a fourth look to make sure that um, it wouldn't benefit from a little editing, a little reconstruction. So I think uh, it's a mixture of, um, of uh, emotional outpouring and very disciplined writing and um, obeying certain rules which I think are applicable even in the lowly world of rock lyrics. That's just my view. And Ian, you, you've been someone in the business, you know, again for 40, 41 years. So, you know, you, you said something interesting. You really saw the technology kind of change as well. So, I mean, is it kind of just interesting for you to think back about your early days and now realize that you're on uh, CGI on uh, Rock Band 2 video game? Um, well, it's technology has changed a lot, but you know the noises we make are still driven by. I say the noises we make. We musicians, you know, whether we're playing instruments of the classical Western orchestra, whether we're playing um, the instruments of contemporary pop and rock music, they they um, they haven't really changed very much. In the case of uh, orchestral instruments, violins, for example, you know, in 400 years, not a lot changed. Um, in the case of uh, electric guitars, it's um, certainly little has changed in the last 50 years. Um, the classic, uh, the, the two classic electric guitars, the, uh, the Gibson Les Paul and the, and the Fender Stratocaster still essentially are the definitive two guitars today. Pretty much everything else is, you can definitely trace its lineage to one or other of those instruments. And, and acoustics are acoustics and flutes are flutes? Well, to, to a large extent. I mean, flute technology is always developing some tiny, tiny changes to the instrument, but, um, Basically, the instrument is as it was uh, when uh, when it was the current 
orchestral flute was essentially developed by uh, by Bowen, and it's uh, an instrument that is almost unchanged fundamentally to this day. So, you know, technology, sure, in the way that people listen to music and the way they make music, but the actual the actual way that we um, play and perform music, it, it's it's um, it's pretty basic. And even when you look at sampling and sequencing and computers in uh, in music, it's happened around about 82, 83. So, you know, we're looking at 25 years since the um, since the technology of sampling and sequencing and computers, since that began. It's, of course, it's got more sophisticated. It's essentially the same. And I think we saw probably by the uh, by the end of the 80s, you know, we, we were... Music, I don't think, has changed a huge amount since then. Same 12 notes. We cannot talk about the end of the 80s with your Grammy award-winning crest of a knave win on uh, the Grammys uh, against Metallica's Justice for All. I honestly, we were sitting in front of the television when we were all, you know, young metalheads, and we were like, yeah, yeah, this great, this first time is heavy metal, and then they said Jethro Tull. We love you to death, but gotta say, was very shocked over that. Were you just as shocked? No, well, I wasn't sitting in front of a television. I was busy earning a living working in a recording studio that day. <laughs> so um, we had a phone call later that evening to say that um, we had won the Grammy, and that um, you know, which was perfectly nice. But we knew that it had courted a deal of controversy. But uh, frankly, you know, Jethro Tull to be nominated in the category in the first place, one of five or six bands nominated in that category of best hard rock oblique stroke metal act and it was the first year that new category was in operation at the Grammys to be nominated and it didn't seem to cause a stir at all largely because no one thought we were going to win it so no one got their knickers in a twist but of course when we did win it a lot of people in very bad grace um, you know got rather voluble about it so um, it's probably just as well that I haven't been invited because if I had I think I might have had a thing or two to say about it very much in public but the people who really lost that, of course, were Metallica, who everybody thought was going to win the Grammy, and um, they were the ones who actually, with some dignity, held their heads up, and um, and when, uh, as I suggested at the time, they probably would win the Grammy the following year, and indeed they did. They took out an advertisement and billboard thanking their producers, their um, their engineer, their road crew, their, their mums, their dads, the uncles, the family dog, and thanking Jethro Tull for not bringing out a new album that year. So, uh, but you took uh, it out of the head of your own saying that the flute is a heavy metal instrument, right? Well, I didn't take it. I was taken out by the record company. But record. Um, I think uh, it was a it was a good idea, but not. You know, I think they just said the flute is a metal instrument with a picture of a flute. So it was a little tongue-in-cheek uh, jibe on the part of Christmas Records. However, so, it's, so it um, sounds like you and the Metallica boys were kind of, you know, took it in stride and everyone else was kind of having a big dust-up about it. Is that what was happening there? I think that's what was happening there, yes. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break and be right back and switch gears a little bit from Ian's love of rock and roll to Cats. Stay put and hear about this one.
All right, this is my stop, Commercial Boulevard. Yeah, that's funny. Pets in the city will be back in a New York minute. Don't go anywhere. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Give your dog some thought. With Dog Thoughts, it's the iPhone application that everyone's talking about. Hey, what do you think of this? A man in Davis, California says he's invented an application for the iPhone that claims it can read your dog's mind. Huh? No, it's true. Now, I read about it on my cat's Twitter page. That's fine. Jay Leno talked about it, CBS reported on it, and now you can see what all the buzz is about. Created just for dog lovers, Dog Thoughts makes taking photos of your furry best friend more fun. Shake your dog and read his mind. <gasps> on your iPhone, of course. Take a pic of your pup, shake your phone, and watch as his thoughts appear on the screen. Does he have a bone to pick with you, or is he having a tail-wagging day? Get your Dog Thoughts iPhone app today. Just 99 cents. Go to PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. That's PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, all you yuppie puppies and city kitties. Pets in the City is back with more urban animals and cool cosmopolitan critters. Try saying that three times fast. Right, Diane? Ian, you love cats. I love both the idea of cats, the, the history of cats in society, the cats in the wild, particularly the 26 species of small wild cat. Some might argue one, one more or less, depending on the 
their viewpoint, but roughly speaking, there are about 26 species of, uh, of small wild cats, and they're the ones that tend not to get written about or noticed, partly because they're not big and scary, and they, they don't bite the heads off Roy. So, um, you know, the small wild cats get a bit of a raw deal, and uh, many of them are, are uh, truly endangered species and, uh, and do deserve... Um, uh, at this stage, some real intervention on the part of um, environmentalists, scientists, and governments to try and give the protection to those species where they where they really do need it. So yes, I'm a, I'm a champion of the small cats and um, of course domestic cats who really pretty much all descended from uh, Felis libica, the the, uh, the wild cat of uh, of Africa, of northern Africa, which spread out across into uh, northern Europe and. Uh, in uh, most of northern Europe is called Felis sylvestris, a big sort of, uh, you know, kind of big, rugged, quite long-haired, um, chabby-looking cat. And, of course, in Scotland, Scottish wild cat, known perhaps incorrectly, but interestingly as Felis sylvestris grampia, aside from its European neighbour, is, um, is very much one of those endangered species and about which we in the UK seem to be paralysed into doing nothing at all to, to save. Uh, Why are they endangered, is, uh, though, Ian? Are, are people killing them, overbreeding them? What's happening? Well, what happened to uh, the Scottish wildcat, really, in the Victorian times, when the Scottish Highlands were suddenly populated, um, not by uh, native species, but by uh, an unwelcome uh, incomer from the south, in the form of sheep, because uh, <laughs> Scottish Highlands were a big wilderness area where it was possible to... Um, acquire large tracts of land very cheaply and put flocks of sheep on for the summer and then take them take them south for fattening in the winter. It was, uh, I suppose, the sheep and then the sporting value of those estates, primarily for grass shooting, um, meant that the gamekeepers and the landowners persecuted the Scottish wildcat, which would attack newborn lambs and, of course, attack... Uh, um, uh, grouse as a prey, so gamekeepers would shoot on sight anything that's uh, remotely feline crawling about in the in the moors and the and the heather of uh, of Scotland. So it was so severely depleted for that reason, but also as the human population encroached further into um, wilderness Scotland, uh, domestic cats would then breed with their wild cousin, and so the genetic purity of uh, of Felis sylvestris has been uh, severely compromised, and even to this day, I suppose, but there are there are those who um, will maintain there are still you know, a, a small population of true wildcats around. Many more pragmatic and cynical folks uh, believe that there may well be little or no genetically pure Scottish wildcat left that has all been um, genetically diluted by interbreeding with. With um, uh, with Felis catus, the domestic cat. So, wow. some some somewhere between those two views, the truth lies. But if there's any chance of saving the Scottish wildcat, it has to be it has to be very soon. Otherwise, there really won't be any left. Now, you've had um, a lot of cats come in and out of your life. On I believe you live on a farm, right? So you have a lot of mm. domestic cats and cats that kind of walked in on your doorstep. And and of course, you have. Rupee, who is the subject of actually one of your songs on your solo album? Yeah, well, she was a feral. Um, we, we've always we've always had a few feral cats uh, in in our uh, cat population at home since uh, my wife and I got married um, thirty three years ago. She's prompting me from across the room, and um, 
you know, the ferals, when, when, you, when you live on a farm or out in the, the rural countryside, there are, there are cats that do, um, you know, interbreed and, and uh, roam and, uh, and uh, kittens uh, are born in the back of dark and... Feral cats uh, are obviously a delight to, to be um, able to save and rear and hopefully um, find good homes for, but of course it is a, a big commitment. They're, they're, they're not usually um, uh, very approachable until they're maybe um, been with you for three or four weeks and hopefully they're then hand tame and reasonably reliable to pick up and handle and ultimately pass on to a to a good home, but it does require a lot of very serious and disciplined effort to um, to uh, give them a good start in life, and if possible, catching up. Uh, the mother is um, is always a good idea to have her spayed because, in rare occasions, it, it might be desirable to have a uh, a feral mum bringing up uh, or, or producing more kittens to keep rats and other rodents down in in uh, rural communities or in barns, but mostly. It's really better to have them spayed and try and reduce that uh, sad incidence of small kittens being born only to die um, days or weeks later. Now, you said, uh, obviously, you know, and your point is well taken, you really need to know how to take care of cats, uh, feral and otherwise. On your website, I see that somebody took a big chunk out of your finger, but you didn't say who. Oh, well, that that was just an accident, putting a cat out in the middle of the night in the dark and um, accidentally... um, Making a making a grab for a cat that decided to run back, you know, back up the stairs, and I drove my fingers into the, the stairs behind me in my in my attempt to get hold of it, forgetting I was standing on stairs at the time, and so I broke a <laughs> finger and damaged another one. But that's uh, that's life. And uh, a few weeks later, when we were um, medicating a cat that had had a serious eye injury, and I was kneeling on the floor bending over to put some uh, special eye drops in the cat's eye, and I. It's got at an awkward angle and uh, managed to severely pull some muscles in my back. So I spent uh, a few days with a serious back injury as a result of a cat again. That's my my was my second cat injury in a in a period of three months. But hopefully the the cats and I are all much more careful with each other um, as a result, and so we'll try not to make it uh, three in a row. <laughs> And that's true because you, you, I mean, you are constantly touring around Europe and from what I understand, uh, much to the United States delight, you're actually, I believe, coming back to the colonies uh, very soon, aren't you? Yeah, well, we have, uh, we have two tours planned in October and November and a bunch of dates on the West Coast, including the Beacon Theatre in New York, um, which I think comes up That's October 13th, right? Oh, well done, yes, that's the mm-hmm. one. Um, October yeah, 13th so it's, uh, the beacon, everyone. Yeah, there you go. And and essentially that is a, a tour, or two tours, um, as indeed all the tours from uh, uh, the second week of September onwards are actually not Jethro Tull rock band shows. There, Ian Anderson plays the acoustic Jethro Tull shows. So I'm primarily doing acoustic music, some of the uh, classic acoustic songs from Jethro Tull, plus some of the rock songs done in a more acoustic fashion, as well as uh, quite a bit of new material, which has been specially written and um, some of the new material has actually been performed already, but not in uh, not in the UK or the USA. So it's a good opportunity to blend a little new music with a chunk of the old stuff that our fans will recognise from the um, from the acoustic side of our work, um, as well as hearing a few of the, the the rock classics done up in a different suit of clothes. Well, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to be having shows that night, but you just happen to be 
in New York that week that on October 17th and 18th, uh, there's going to be a Meet the Breeds show where there's going to be a cat show and a dog show at the same time. So if you want wow. to stop by there. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I have to be on my on my travels. You see, I uh, have uh, concerts pretty much every night. And um, and so uh, yeah, we don't have really much time to do anything other than uh, travel, do a sound check, do a show, get some sleep and travel again. So... It's pretty hectic. See, if I come to America, I'm not I'm not on vacation. I'm certainly not there to to pay the the road crew and the band to have days off. <laughs> it's uh, this is a recession. We've got to keep everybody busy and working. So we we tend to um, try and minimise time away from home in order that we can spend more time with our families or indeed our dogs and cats and chickens and ducks and whatever else we might have to look after. And um, so I try and make it as as uh, as efficient as I can and try and be away away from home um really a few days so so we 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 play pretty much every day when we're on the road and and we're not there to um you know travel all that way just to take a day off and um uh, fool around much as it would be nice as a tourist to see many parts of America that I've passed through only on a working visit um I think it'd be be better to do that as a genuine tourist and just go there and and really enjoy it rather than try to combine the two, which doesn't really work for me. No, anyway, I'm, I'm, like a, I'm a Scotsman. Really... I'm much too mean. I'm much too mean-spirited and tight-sporran <laughs> to want to pay my road crew to take days off. Well, and it really does look like Ian, uh, for our listeners, has a very packed schedule. And uh, he, like we said, October 13th in New York, he's going to be at the Beacon Theater. And uh, he's actually going to be uh, in the metro area for most of October. So definitely you can catch him there, and he'll be on the West Coast as well. And, uh, That's right. Well, you can you you can see exactly what's going on if you go to www.jethrotile.com. Tour dates are all there from uh, from next weekend on through till Christmas. So you'll see uh, you'll see exactly what's going on. And um, uh, actually, we still have a few more dates to be announced in uh, in December in Germany and the Czech Republic. But that's probably a little far from the Bronx. <laughs> trains here, so I'm, I'm sure it'll be no problem at all. Hey, listen, Very Ian, good. Ian, should we end with Bungle in the Jungle? Why not? That sounds like a fitting end to uh, to an interview um, on the topics of all the animals we didn't get to talk about, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do that. At least it starts off with a lion-like roar, which is certainly not the noise my little pussy cats make, but um, watch out, Roy. Here comes Bungle in the Jungle. Is it so frightening to have? 